Good afternoon, everyone. This is Margaret Karens along with Ian Linging, John Hill, Dan Creeder from our FIC Macro Strategy Team. And we thought we'd put together a quick conference call on the back of the disruptions in the Treasury financing market. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. So let's just begin with John. Can you give us some background on what's going on here, please? Yeah, at a high level, when I think of repo, there are really two moving pieces you need to keep track of. One is the amount of cash available to be lent, and the other is the amount of collateral needed to be financed. And what we saw starting yesterday was a big drain in the amount of cash being able to be lent. The proximate cause for this was a large corporate tax payment that was done Monday the 16th. And that coincided with $54 billion in new coupon supply from the settling of threes, tens, and thirties. Now, normally, the combination of those two factors would only incrementally push up funding costs, repo rates. What we saw instead was a rather dramatic blowout and spike in rates. Now, the reason why this is extremely important outside of the repo market is it also is starting to spill over. For example, we saw Fed funds jump from 2.14% to 2.25%, or right at the top of the target range for the Fed. So we're at a moment where this kind of volatility or spike in secured funding costs is starting to have negative consequences. And really in the background, the whole ballgame of this comes down to the fact that since late 2014, the Fed has kind of been reducing reserves. And that's either been kind of passive roll-off as the overall size of the balance sheet stays constant, but other liabilities kind of draw down reserves. Or we had an active period where the Fed was reducing the size of the balance sheet. What it appears to me is that at some point in the past 48 hours, for whatever reason, we've hit a true inflection point for funding markets and for the Fed's balance sheet. And what this means is that we've hit a period where reserves are no longer clearly abundant at all periods. So what does the Fed do in response to this? Well, if reserves aren't always abundant and there's a lot of collateral being driven by elevated treasury supply, The Fed needs to come in and increase reserves in the system and reduce Treasury collateral. They did that through an emergency operation this morning to the tune of upwards of $75 billion, only about 50 of which was taken up. But it has the same effect of more reserves into the system, less collateral. Going forward, the Fed's going to have to make some other policy changes, but that serves to at least have temporarily calmed markets. So what would you say this does to the prospects of a standing repo facility coming out of the FOMC either tomorrow or later this year? I mean, they're going to have to do something and they're going to have to do something quick. Standing repo facility, one way to do that is just do what they did today every day. Now, one of the questions we have right now is the Fed hasn't formally confirmed that they're going to do another overnight repo facility tomorrow. Frankly, I think they need to. They found out that the market needed $50 billion in additional reserves. That helped temporarily calm things. If they suddenly pulled that $50 billion of liquidity out, we might be back to where we are. But the problem is we can't 100% guarantee or count on that as of yet. Ian, to your point, the benefit of having a standing repo facility is traders and investors know that that will be the case. They can factor for it, prepare for it, and the markets can price and clear a little bit more efficiently. Well, we've been talking a reasonable amount about how there's the 
little EQE currently underway with the coupon passes back in the market. John, you've been talking a fair amount about the prospects for the balance sheet being expanded even further. I'm curious how you feel this impacts the timing of that. Yeah, if you go back to that framework of reserves have declined and they've declined suddenly to a point where they're no longer clearly abundant, the Fed wants to continue to operate in an abundant reserve framework. One way to do that is to go back to growing the balance sheet. And growing the balance sheet is, once again, it's like a second little EQE, maybe a medium case QE, not that that exists. But in reality, what this is, is the Fed creating reserves in the system and buying treasuries in the secondary market. That helps alleviate the constraints on both fronts by providing more reserves and reducing some collateral. The probability of this being announced as early as tomorrow has gone up pretty dramatically, whether that corresponds to an October 1st date or the fact that they signal we're going to start doing this later on this year is still up for debate and going to be one of the core questions we're going to be looking from Powell tomorrow. So by way of a quick update in terms of our thinking on the overall meeting tomorrow, I don't think this puts 50 basis points on the table, but it does change the odds that interest on excess reserves are dropped in addition to what we are going to see for the overall shape of the ban. How do we think, John, it plays out in terms of the beloved dot plot or any of the forward projections? Is it going to matter or are they simply going to take this as an opportunity to instill a sense of calm, acknowledging that there are some plumbing issues, as it were, in the very front end of the market? Yeah, I mean, nobody wants plumbing issues, but I don't think that this will spill over into the dot plot or their actual policy rate projections. Rather, the way that I think of this, this is the plumbing that helps guide where Fed funds and repo might trade within the target band. I agree that the chance of an IOER cut call it now 30 basis points when the rest of the range drops 25, is now very likely. What this doesn't do is change the 25 versus 50 debate. At the end of the day, this is a market conditions kind of decision for the Fed to do. Their true impact on financial conditions, forward projections, everything else, they want to keep in kind of a different bucket. Well, I've been pretty worried that Powell is going to struggle, particularly at this meeting, with communicating the nuance between a Fed that is content to deliver 25 basis point rate cuts to offset the probability of a durable recession in the U.S., but the reality that they're not going to continue to do that indefinitely. And let's say we continue to use the 90s as the best proxy for what fine-tuning looks like in the current environment. That means a move tomorrow and a move in October or December. So in that context, if we think that the biggest risk, which I do, for Powell was that he was unable to outdove the dovish expectations, does the cut of interest on excess reserves push us over the edge? Could this be interpreted as dovish enough to justify the levels that we are at rates right now? Maybe. I mean, directionally, that's right. Though, keep in mind the reason they'd be doing this is to not actually lower rates, but rather keep them kind of constant. So say after Monday, Fed funds structurally shifted up another five basis points in the range. Well, if you lower IOER, you've just bought Fed funds back to where they were before. So it's not truly dovish. Instead, I think the way that it could be seen as more accommodative as it signals a strong willingness 
to act as appropriate, to use Powell's language, and be flexible with the balance sheet. The Fed clearly saw stress in the market this morning, came in with a surprise announcement, and was able to inject liquidity. The perception of them being willing to do this kind of helps ease some stress in financial markets or at least general angst that plumbing markets might not get too out of hand. Well, there's certainly no question that Powell has his work cut out for him tomorrow. It will be fascinating to see how it plays out. With that in mind, Dan, do you have any thoughts on how this might play out in the spread market? Yeah, thanks, Ian. And I'm certainly with you guys that the Fed's going to have to do something here. And the reaction in spread markets thus far has been somewhat interesting. Yesterday, when the, when the problems in the repo market first showed up, we saw swap spreads drop, as we would expect, given elevated repo rates. But the response today has been somewhat different. Swap spreads are actually out a little bit. And what that says to us is that the market's beginning to price in either a repo facility from the Fed or just kind of a daily repo operation for the time being which should put upward pressure on swaps. And we can see evidence of that also in, in the December for OIS contract in as much as five basis points today. So we're starting to see some pricing in of a repo facility. The question is, how much is a repo facility really worth in spreads? And to answer that question, we went back and we looked at what would be considered a quote-unquote normal level for LIBOR GC. And, and the average in the five years prior to 2019 is about 10 basis points. And so far, year-to-date, it's been... 20 basis points plus. So we have, you know, a rough proxy of 10 basis points as normal conditions, and then 20 basis points plus would be stress conditions. So the selection of the rate and who's allowed to participate in any repo facility becomes the key question. If we get a repo facility set at the top of the Fed's range with full allotment, we can expect repo rates to go back to quote unquote normal, trading 10 basis points or so above OIS in the three-month term market. In that case, we could see swap spreads widen as much as 10 basis points at the short end. But if they set the repo facility rate at, say, 25 basis points above the upper bound, we're going to get a, a bit of a middle range outcome where we, we'd only expect to see swap spreads widen five basis points or so. Obviously, the big question, though, is whether or not we're going to see a repo facility. If they continue just to do daily Fed operations or daily repo operations, it changes the math a little bit. On a standing repo facility, we know what the rate is and we know the Fed's going to be there. If they do daily operations like today, it becomes more of an auction-based system. Today, the Fed was able to allot the repo at 210, well beneath the range. But it's worth pointing out that today is September 17th. What would that rate look like on September 30th or even worse into year end? Probably well north of there. So you're introducing even more uncertainty into the degree of repo relief that comes from the Fed unless there's a standing repo facility. So in the short term, we're setting a target of five basis points on, on short end swap spreads with the expectation that the Fed is going to come with a repo facility potentially as early as tomorrow, or at least set strong forward guidance that the Fed is going to be participating in the repo market through year end. I'll touch briefly on credit spreads. Obviously, heavy excess collateral in the form of treasuries has been one of the major reasons why G spreads remain so, so narrow. And so any reversal of that via a Fed repo facility would, would work to widen spreads. It would be modest at best, but heading into also a seasonally difficult time for spreads in Q4, add in a repo facility and, and you see a bearish case for spreads going maybe five basis points, as much as 10 basis points wider on G spreads over the term of the fourth quarter. 
So thanks, Dan. Just to summarize, there's really two main ways that the Fed can remedy this current situation. The bottom line is they need to increase the amount of reserves in the system. They can do this through the daily repo operation. They can do it through a standing repo facility, and they can grow their balance sheet. Typically, what we would expect is in line with currency in circulation, which has been growing at about 5% a year. We also think that the Fed needs to announce tomorrow's facility today. So if they're planning on coming into the market tomorrow, we would expect to know that sooner rather than later. Repo is once again under pressure this afternoon, and that's following the Fed intervention. And so we expect to get some sort of an announcement to reduce the market disruption that's currently underway. Okay, we have a client question coming in. The question is, if the Fed goes ahead and injects liquidity into the market, will the market receive this as an alleviation of the funding risk, or will the market interpret this as further easing in line with what other central banks are doing? Thanks for the question. Directionally, this would correspond to increased secondary market demand for treasuries. So you'd expect to see a little bit of tightening in treasury OIS. That being said, I don't want to confuse this with quantitative easing. I think it would be a program more akin to the coupon passes that we saw pre-crisis. So directionally, you do see more reserve creation. You do see additional secondary market demand. But between your two of either assisting with some of the plumbing issues or the market functioning or kind of going in the vein of the ECB and being another QE program, I very much see this on the first. Said differently, the goal of this program from the Fed's perspective is not to push rates down further or additionally flatten the curve. Rather, it is to make sure that there are adequate reserves in the system. And one of the things that I would add to that is it is often lost that if the Fed is actively doing coupon passes, they are in buying in the secondary market, whereas the baseline rolling off of their balance sheet does occur as add-ons. So optically, it might be a bit less clear for the market in the beginning. But to John's point, at the end of the day, this is simply a status quo or keeping things functioning issue. And just to put a number on that so we can get an understanding of what we would expect, a 5% growth rate in currency in circulation would imply about $180 billion in purchases per year, given the most recent Fed balance sheet size. So you're looking at about $15 billion a month. And again, it's really just to offset the growth in currency circulation, which is reserve draining. So it's in order to maintain the abundance reserves that the Fed wants to operate under. Well, thank you all for dialing in. I know we said we keep this to 20 minutes, and, and we actually did. Please reach out to any of us individually with questions or comments, and have a great afternoon. Thanks. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. 
It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. FEMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause FEMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. FEMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. FEMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and FEMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. FEMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 